Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Power for Marriage, and it is part of the Meaning of Marriage Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. C.S. Lewis has a great book called Four Loves, and it describes the different kinds of love. And they're all from God. There's agape, which is the highest. There's phileo, which is friendship love. And um, there's uh, storge, which is, um, which is that... Um, and I don't mean this in a, a dirty or a, a sense, but animal love, you know, just the need we have for each other. And then there's eros, the, which is romantic love. And it's all of God. Of course, what we're preaching about in this series and what this message is about is the agape love of God. And so that's what needs to be the foundation of all our relationships, is the kind of love that took Jesus to Calvary, the kind of love that's in those songs. It's nice, but you can hear you can hear that it's something missing, right? Even though they're beautiful songs, and certainly the artists who made them originally did, uh, were, were very entertaining and beautiful. And, and, and I have no problem with, with, with songs that have pain in them, because that, that's, uh, when you hear a beautiful song that has pain in it, I always, I always think to myself, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a godly thing, that you can take pain even romantic pain and broken hearts, and you can turn it into a beautiful melody. Uh, you, you know, that's what the psalmist David, you know, 50 of his songs, 50 of his psalms, which were songs, were laments. They were like blues songs or country western songs. <laughs> you know, they were about loss and lament. And, and sometimes, I, that's a whole other subject, but sometimes the church has forgotten how to make beauty out of, out of pain. But God, God will help us do that, to make beauty out of pain. He'll help us write beautiful music and beautiful art often comes out of pain. That's another subject. But we're going to talk today about the power for marriage. The meaning of marriage, we talked, is a series, but it's powerful. Now, this is not a, this is not a how-to sermon or a how-to series. They have their place, and we do a lot of that. So if, if you may be, well, when's he going to tell me how to have a happy marriage? I want to have a happy marriage. Of course you do. We all do. Uh, and th- uh, this is the foundation for the how-tos. If you, this is the primary, the how-tos are the secondary. So let's get to, that's what we're trying to do in this series, is establish the primary relationship and the primary reason for marriage. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, some just practical advice here. Getting drunk uh, all the time is really going to be bad for you. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Underline that. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make among yourselves and make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband in the, uh, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
He is the Savior of his body, the church, talking about Christ. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands. So it's not an oppressive thing at all, because our submission to Christ is not an oppressive thing. For husbands, this means you love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed with the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. And as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husbands. Now, God has provided a source to make it possible to live out that primary purpose of marriage. And he's provided a source that I've seen, I've really not seen this uh, talked about in this context. I've, I've not seen marriage talked about in the context that Paul put it, which is the, 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 the empowerment and joy of the Holy Spirit undergirding the relationship. Uh, so where do you get the energy, the motivation, and the wisdom to do this, to do marriage right? You won't get it from culture. You won't get it from most human counsel or most, even most books you read. You, you, may, you may, like I said, you may get the how-to, which is really good. Uh, but, but where are you going to get the energy to do this? You won't get it from your own natural instincts. Believe me, you will not get it from your own natural instincts. So uh, even, even just reading the Bible a little bit w- won't work. In studying the book of Acts and the epistles, if we analyze the early church, it's impossible to analyze the early church without realizing that the Holy Spirit was central to everything they did. That following the guidance and being empowered by the Holy Spirit was central to everything they did. And they got that through intercession, fellowship of the believers, reading the scripture, uh, learning to be alert to the inner voice, and through accountability. And that's one thing we we easily miss when we read the New Testament or we read the Bible itself. We can easily miss what they understood in Jewish culture. And in Jewish culture, accountability was central to their lives. They had elders. Uh, All Jewish communities had elders. And those elders were the people that you were accountable to. It wasn't like today we have elders, we put elders and appoint them in our church and and they vote on uh, whether we're going to build a new auditorium or something like that, you know. Uh, uh, The elders in in biblical times were the people that if if your husband was beating you, you would go to the elders and you would tell the elders in the community, my husband is beating me, and they would deal with him. Uh, that's why we don't have to say that being beaten is a, is a, a, gives you a right to divorce when we talk about biblical reasons for divorce. We don't have to say that because in the, in, in, in the biblical times, the elders would deal with a man who beat his wife. Uh, and, and, and I understand. I'm not saying it was exactly the same as it is in modern culture. But there were, the, the elders were there for, for accountability. And that accountability would let them know when they weren't flowing in the Spirit. So, 
Uh, I'm going to give you three things today in finding the power to do marriage God's way. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to be your marriage counselor. That doesn't mean that's the only marriage counselor you have, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. I want you to plant and, and acknowledge the voice. There's a voice from God inside of your heart. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that means the Holy Spirit is the presiding elder in your body. So you should have be in contact with the voice of the Holy Spirit who lives in your temple to give you counsel. The second thing I want to talk to you about today is accept that self-centeredness, not woundedness, is why it's hard to live for another. I'm not denying woundedness. I know that you're wounded, some of you. Most of us have been wounded somewhere in life, some of you very severely. I'm not minimizing your woundedness. But woundedness is not why you're self-centered. Okay? The third thing I want to talk to you about today is making the decision that pleasing the Lord and demonstrating the saving gospel of Jesus Christ as a couple will be your greatest joy. So, marriage is almost always, we're talking about asking the Holy Spirit first. Marriage is almost always two needy people unsure of their value and importance, trying to find that significance in another person. Inevitably, many, if not most, will discover that that other person is not always capable of bearing the weight of your being. Right? In some way, we discover that we have married a sinner, just as we are sinners. Sherry and I married, and I remember uh, part of the reason, uh, I mean, she was, was, was and still is gorgeous, so that was the main reason I was attracted to her. <laughs> that was the first thing, right? But I was also attracted to her strength, strong person. I, I thought, well, that'll be great. I'll get this strong person. I can have, I can have ups and downs, because I knew I had ups and downs. I knew emotionally I'm up, I'm down, I'm up and down. I'm a, I'm a melancholy person. And, uh, you know, so I, I'll marry this I'll marry this rock who will, who will always be, and, and she is that. I, can, I could tell you many stories of just really difficult times. Sherry just was so strong through difficult times. But the problem was I, I was ridiculous about it, and I didn't want her to have a bad day. I, 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 when she would have a bad day, I would just freak out. I, I needed her to be strong every day. And so she couldn't be strong every day, or, or, or she was strong in a way that, uh, that I didn't appreciate. <laughs> Right. So when Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, the main message that he left his disciples were this. Ask the Holy Spirit into your lives. That was the main thing he said. Was, he said it several times, especially in the book of John, chapter 14 through 18. He continually harps on this. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will do this. The Holy Spirit will do that. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen, he says, If you then are evil, know how to good, give, give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Paul, when he writes in Ephesians 5, and he gives these directives on marriage, he begins, listen, he begins with the assumption that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Go back in the text that I read and look at it for yourself. He begins with the assumption that you would be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In fact, in, fact, in the original Greek language, between you know, uh, 20, verse 20 is where he ends up talking about singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord and being filled with the Spirit. And then he says, the next verse says, and, and submit to one another in, the, in, the, in your Bible, no matter what version you read, there's a period after be filled with the Spirit. There's a, and I don't remember the exact words of verse 20, but there's a period after that verse. In the original Greek, there was no period. It was a part of the same sentence. Be filled with the Spirit and live in a harmonious, adaptive, the word submit means to adapt, but live in a harmonious, adaptive relationship to one another, this different person that you married. Live in a, he assumed you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't giving that advice to people who weren't interested in being filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't giving that advice to who, who, who people who weren't interested in having Jesus Christ as the center of their lives. And that's not to suggest people can't have a good marriage without being a Christian. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm talking to you from the Word of God today. Isn't it odd that we've made the infilling of the Holy Spirit primary to almost every endeavor in the Christian? I'm talking about Christians. Christians have made the infilling of the Spirit primary to almost every endeavor and everything we do, except marriage. If we're going to have a service like this, we're going to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come on the preacher and come on the music. If we're going to think about a new project or a new ministry... We're going to try to get the mind of the Spirit on that project and that ministry. And, and, and we're going to th think of, I'm talking about Christians especially, especially those who consider ourselves Spirit-filled Christians. We're going to think about the Holy Spirit in regard to that ministry and what we should do. And we'll get the voice of God at 3 o'clock in the morning to do this thing. And we say, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me to do that. And now I'm going to go to do this wild and crazy thing because the Holy Spirit woke me up at 3 and said, go to uh, Timbuktu, you know. So, we, so we, and I could go on and on with these with these examples, but I've never heard anybody preach a sermon until I read it in Tim Keller's book. I'd never thought about that Paul put the filling of the Holy Spirit as a foundation for marriage. In fact, Jesus actually uh, had a problem with some of the Pharisees because they would they tried to transpose their obligation to God in a way that got them out of being obligated to a primary human relationship. Uh, he, he says to them over Mark chapter 7, he says, you say, talking about your parents and, and, and taking care of your parents, he said, you say, sorry I can't help you for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And they had a word for it. Corban was the word. I vowed to give to God what I would be given to you. And I believe Jesus, the principle applies to some, some, some church marriages. Some church marriages, I've watched people give to God what they were supposed to give to their spouse. When we hear spiritual filledness, we think of inner peace and power. And it certainly has to do with that. But when Jesus talked about the Spirit, he never said much about peace and all of that. He spoke primarily as the Holy Spirit being a spirit of truth who will remind you of everything I've said to you, John 4, 7. He said in another place in John 16, 4, the Holy Spirit will 
glorified me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your marriage is not just about Him giving you peace. It will be about the Holy Spirit giving you advice, counsel, instruction, wisdom, telling you what to do. And uh, uh, so according to Paul in Ephesians 5, only if you've learned to serve the other by the power of the Holy Spirit will you have the power to face the challenge of marriage. When we hear a spirit fullness, we need to think of... Uh, it, it's more... It's more the word "filled" is is kind of a a, a word that we associate with a, a liquid or something filling us, but but really when you think about something filled, it's about something being controlled. It's really more about something. It's really more about controlled. If if your mind is full of fear, it's so I'm filled with fear. If you're filled with anxiety. You will be controlled by that anxiety. You will be controlled by that. If you're filled with lust, you will be controlled by that lust. So it's not about. It's not like this. This uh, liquid that's poured into you and has a magical uh, effect of making you peaceful or something. But it's about. It's about having your emotions. It's having your values. It's having your values filled with the values of the Lord and the values of the cross and the values of Jesus. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So, to ignore or worse, disinvite the Holy Spirit into your inner inner marriage conversation is to completely miss the meaning of marriage. There's a lot of reasons we marry, see? And those reasons, though they may be okay and good, as a matter of fact, and important, they fall short of the glory of God. And that's okay. That's okay. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have... I, I, I'm starting to think about lunch about now. And that falls short of the glory of God. But it's really important. And so I'm going to go eat lunch in a little bit. We marry for companionship. I, I remember... Man, I didn't. I just didn't like going. Uh, you know, when I first moved into, moved down to Tampa and working with my brother, and I'd traveled all over the country, and I was staying with people, and now I'm going to an empty apartment by myself, and I didn't like it. I, I, I wanted to. Have, I wanted somebody to go home to. So we marry for companions. We marry for sexual fulfillment. We marry because we want to have a family, we want to have children. Those are all great reasons. Those are indeed legitimate reasons to marry, but the fundamental meaning of your marriage is not those things. The fundamental meaning of your marriage is your marriage is a human object lesson of a divine relationship. Your marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Listen, if you're not ministering in your marriage, it's likely your own inner dysfunction with the Holy Spirit and not the terribleness of your spouse. Most likely. Most likely it's that. And this is a perfect segue into Number two, accept that self-centeredness, not woundedness, is why it's hard to live for another. Now, I'm not downplaying being hurt and wounded. We all are hurt and wounded, and some of us worse than others. But Tim Keller says, you can only afford to be generous if you have some money in the bank. And how do you get the money in the bank? If, if, if your philosophy is, well, if I've been hurt, if I've been offended or hurt or disappointed or let down, whether it's present or past, 
if, you're, if your philosophy is, I, that, that drains my account. I have no money, I have no love in the bank if I'm wounded, if I'm offended. But that is to deny the power of the Holy Spirit. That is to deny the power of the Spirit. The, today's culture of the me marriage finds this proposal of putting another person's interest as oppressive, but that is because it doesn't look deeply enough into the actual nature of reality, which is that self-centeredness is a joy stealer. And self-centeredness is not only a joy stealer, it's a family structure destroyer. No matter how justified, no matter if you've been hurt, no matter if you're, you've been hurt, your kids need something better. Tim Keller says, we assume that self-centeredness isn't natural and that it's only the pro product of some kind of mistreatment. That mistreatment can be all sorts of things, by the way. In our culture, he goes on to say, in our culture, there's a widespread assumption of basic human goodness. If people are self-absorbed and messed up, it is argued, it is only because they lack healthy self-esteem. So what we should tell them is to be good to themselves, to live for themselves, not for others. You see how that goes off the rails. Yes, we need to tell people to be good to themselves. We need to tell people to set boundaries. We do need to do all those things, but it's not enough. Keller goes on to say that in Western culture, this has become a religious belief. It's become an article of faith. A common belief that I see carried out in marriage and other relationships is if I have been wronged, I cannot do wrong. That is a tragic belief. That is a tragic value. And that is not the value that Jesus established on the cross. That is not the value that, that was established in this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. It is not what, that's why, but you say, but, but pastor, this is hard. It's not hard. It's not hard to love after you're wounded. It's impossible. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. I do not believe. I don't believe you can do it unless you can learn to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can. We used to sing. We used to sing a song. I know Sherry and I used to sing it years ago. You can have a song in your heart in the night, after every mile, after every trial. You can. Anyone can sing when the sun is shining bright. But you can have a song in your heart in the night. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I want to put a song in your heart when you go into that marriage. I want each of you individually to have a song in your heart that comes from the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Two miserable people cannot make each other happy. Two happy people can make each other incredibly happier. But two miserable people or one miserable person can't make a, 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 another miserable person happy. It's impossible. We must find a source outside of ourselves. And Paul teaches us in Ephesians 5 that that source is the Holy Spirit. We had a lady in our church uh, when I was a kid named Sylvia Patterson. And Sylvia had a husband who was not very kind to her. Um, we can argue, and I don't know the extent of what she lived with at home, and I'm not here to tell you exactly what should constitute the decision to get a divorce. We probably would have counseled her to get a divorce today. But uh, that, in that day and age, people didn't divorce so easily. But uh, Red wasn't kinder. He was probably an alcoholic. 
And I remember uh, uh, one weekend, uh, it was a Sunday night service. He didn't want her to go to church. So he hid all of her shoes. And, and my very demonstrative, I know some of you come in here and you saw people with their hands raised and you freaked out. Are the people clapping, you know? And you're thinking, this is a cult. But you would have really freaked out if you'd have gone to my home church. Because people, they believe, you know, the Bible says to dance before the Lord. They took that, literally, you should dance before the Lord. So they would dance before the Lord. Many people would dance before the Lord in every service. They'd be jumping around and dancing and uh, just, just being crazy, right? And uh, so Sylvia finds a pair of rain boots, red rain boots, galoshes, and puts the rain boots on and goes to church on Sunday night. And sure enough, the, power, the service gets going, the music gets going. You look out in the middle aisle, and there's Sylvia Patterson dancing before the Lord with her rain boots on. Now, she understood Paul was talking about here. She understood, you know, red wasn't going to steal her joy, her joy in the Lord. Now, that's robust. It reminded me of that other story I think I told before, the woman who got ready to go to church, and her husband, was a, her husband actually took out a gun, and he pulled the trigger back. He said, where are you going? She said, if, if, you, if you don't pull the trigger, I'm going to, to church. If you pull the trigger, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> That's knowing your place in God. huh? I'm not recommending you stay in a marriage. Please do not stay in a marriage if he's pulling a gun on you. I just want you to know God's, that's not what the text is teaching at all. Remember those elders I talked about? The elders need to know about that if somebody's pulling a gun on you. But, but, but nevertheless, the point is, the point is there's a place in God. There's a place in God, and we see it throughout the New Testament, where, where really people could really discover the joy of the Lord is my strength. And as much joy and in, in good days, that person that's across the table from you or the bed from you, on good days, yes, they can make you terribly happy. But Paul says, find a relationship with the Holy Spirit that makes you unbelievably happy. Work at that. Cultivate that. Cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit that gives you joy. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, before I go on, I do want to recommend a, a sermon to you that, that will help you understand that we're not promoting a destructive dominance. And it's a sermon that I really... I saw it years ago, and, and I've, uh, I mean, I probably heard this sermon 20 years ago, but I noticed it's still out there on the internet, so I give you the link. It's called Disarming Destructive Dominance, because I want you to know very clearly that we are not, by preaching a biblical submission, we are not talking about a destructive dominance. And I think this message is just like a 25-minute sermon by um, a teaching by Jimmy Evans, who has a marriage ministry on the dis, dis, disarming destructive dominance. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll even see some of it in yourself, that you're being a little destructive in your dominance. Or maybe you're, maybe you're kowtowing to that, so that'll help you. So let's go to the last point. Make the decision that pleasing the Lord and demonstrating the saving gospel is your greatest joy. I remember a, a teach, Bible teacher named uh, Derek Prince said years ago, that uh, we have put in the realm of emotion what should be in the realm of decision. And I believe that's still true today. 
Uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it from your heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. What if you put that, what if you took that verse home and you did that verse in your marriage? I'm not saying you should not clearly communicate your needs to your spouse. I'm not saying that at all. There's a story in this chapter by Tim Keller about he and Kathy driving up from New York to New England to visit friends. And he stayed in the house all day that day and helped her with the three boys. And he really wanted to go to the bookstore. He wanted to go to the bookstore in the worst way. And he just got, by the end of the day, he was just grumpy and in a bad mood because he didn't get to go to the bookstore. And he was blaming Kathy that he didn't get to go to the bookstore. And they're on the drive home. And, you know, it's one of those drives. Have you been there where, where silence reigns and everyone gets wet? Because there's tension. And because she wanted to know what was wrong, and he finally admitted, well, I wanted to go to the bookstore today, and I had to stay and help with the boys. And because and he, he came from a household where the man didn't help with anything. And she came from a household where the father changed diapers. And I mean, he didn't, even, he didn't think he was going to change diapers when he got married. And Tim talks about that in the book, and he's very honest and transparent. Of course, she trained him otherwise. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so when, he, when she told him, when he told her, I wanted to go to the bookstore today, she said to him, you know, I would have loved to have served you that way by letting you go to the bookstore if you would have just told me. So we're not saying don't ever communicate your needs. That, by all means, give your spouse a chance to be amazing to you or share, uh, by sharing your needs and your preferences. But the meaning of your marriage is not getting your way. That's not the meaning of your marriage. The meaning of your marriage is not your happiness from him or her but from feeling the pleasure of God when you are behaving as, as either the sacrificing, loving Jesus or you're behaving as the worshiping, serving church. Either way, you are finding your joy in the Holy Spirit and you're feeling the pleasure of God like the guy in, 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 the, uh, in uh, Chariots of Fire. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's what we all need to figure out is how when we do... When we, when we operate according to God's design, we feel His pleasure. And then so when you feel your spouse's pleasure, it's a bonus. It's icing on the cake when you feel, get to feel your spouse's pleasure. And you will get to feel. In fact, you'll probably feel it more often if you're really trying to please the Lord. Some marriages are easier than others, of course. Some people are naturally more compatible than other people. Some marriages experience fewer challenges, some more challenges. All these things matter, but one thing is critical to discovering the purpose of relationships. The core principle of being spirit-filled is that every person, listen, listen carefully to this, I think this is important. Every person, you have the opportunity to love, please, make happy, or serve, including your spouse, merely serves as a stand-in for Jesus Christ. The Bible says, do whatever you do as unto the Lord. Well, he's this, or she does that. No, serve them as unto the Lord. How would you serve them if they were Jesus? Well, if I was married to Jesus, I would be really happy. That's what you're thinking, right? Don't be so sure that Jesus would be, always be easy to live with either. Jesus would have his preferences too, right? He, he, he and his disciples got at it quite often. So don't, don't be so sure. But nevertheless, even, yeah, Jesus would be better than you or me. That's, that's for sure. But the Bible says, I'm to love you as though you were Jesus. 
you need the Holy Spirit. See, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you to see your spouse, regardless of their failures, as representatives of Jesus. You need the Spirit to prompt you to serve your spouse as though they were the ones who died for your sins and never broke a promise. This is what is meant by grace-based marriage. The Spirit delivers us from the law and brings us under the rule of grace. And that only happens when Jesus is the scapegoat for all of our sins. I said that only happens when Jesus is the scapegoat for all of our sins. Reward, only the Spirit can reward you with a fulfillment of joy and, and the fruit of serving the Lord when you serve the only. Only He can do that. So today, in closing, I'll say this. Ask for forgiveness of your marital sins. If the Holy, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you about that right now, Ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill your heart. You say, I don't know if it'll work. Ask Him. Take your focus off your spouse and put your focus on the Holy Spirit. Purpose to do something this week for your spouse or some other significant person in your life that's all about them and not all about you. Because that's how Jesus God himself to go to the cross because it was all about you and not about him. That's the secret and the power that only the Holy Spirit can teach you about and instruct you and reveal to you and empower you. That's the meaning of marriage. That is the power for marriage. I hope you'll dedicate yourself, your life, your marriage, and the marriage of others. Become a marriage builder for other people. Even if you, you don't have the privilege of being married, become a marriage builder for other people. It'll be the most, one of the most rewarding things you can do. God bless you.